In today's crazy culture, we are called to stand for so many things. But what does Christ call us to stand for? You know, we live in a culture that says, stand up for your own rights. You deserve to have your rights met. But this is not the culture of those who imitate Jesus. Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and I'm so excited that you are joining us today. Today is episode 187. Now, perhaps you have turned the page of the calendar, and you may have thought about this new year and how the world seems to be going. Maybe you thought about the conflicts, wars, terrorism, racism, shootings, pandemics, illnesses, and honestly, just the unknown future. It certainly can seem to be very overwhelming, and we need to ask what a Christian woman should do with all these unknowns and fears. Well, today, Cheryl Bailey is going to walk us through how we can stand, and honestly, stand strong with Christ as our foundation. Listen today for some real practical ways to stand up for Jesus. My dad has been making Christmas piñatas for my children and now my grandchildren for, the, for over 30 years. He's made snowmen, choo-choo trains, ornaments. This past year we had a clown. When COVID struck, my parents, like many of us, were forced into isolation. So I suggested to my dad that maybe he get ahead on piñata making. Well, within a couple of weeks, he had a plan for Christmas 2020. He was going to make a piñata in the shape of the big bad wolf's head. And then prior to Christmas, he was going to have the big bad wolf send emails to my grandchildren asking them if he could come for Christmas dinner. Now at the time I had 13 grandchildren, the oldest was nine and the rest were six and under. The letters began fairly mild, BB Wolf as he was called. Um, ask very politely, may I come to Christmas dinner? I want to get to know you. But as time went on, the letters became a bit more dangerous. He even let it slip that he really wanted to eat the babies. Now, some of the kids were excited about BB coming to Christmas dinner, and they thought that would be fun. But other kids, not so much. Lazarus was two at the time, and whenever an email would arrive, or B.B. was spoken about at a family gathering, Lazarus would proclaim in his most courageous voice, I get my gun, shoot B.B. dead. He said this standing tall with his chest puffed out. Now, this was all fine as long as B.B. was merely an idea. But then one day, my dad showed me a package that had arrived in the mail. It was a wolf mask. He had decided to get my youngest son, who didn't have any children and really didn't understand the foolishness of this idea, to dress up like a wolf and arrive at each child's house at lunchtime, peeking in the windows, and you can imagine the stir that he made. So, uh, a couple hours later, my daughter was still trying to get those kids to take naps, and they were clinging to her in just terror. Lazarus 
was very courageous when B.B. Wolf was simply an idea. But when reality came, he lost power and lost all courage. Now, B.B. Wolf is still, a year and three quarters later, a regular topic of conversation at our house. And he still has kids having nightmares. Why is it that we have courage in our minds until the time comes that we need courage, and then courage flees and we're left powerless? This very thing happened to a great man of faith in scriptures, and today, I hope that we will learn how God defines courage as we look at the example of this man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you give us and how you have called us to have courage as we trust in you. May you be glorified this morning and throughout all this day. Give me your word, Father, for these ladies. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever stopped to think about the, the varied men that Jesus chose to be his disciples? There was a couple sets of brothers, a number of men who were fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, um, a despised tax collector, and even a man that Jesus knew would betray him. One of these men is particularly interesting to me. Maybe it's because I put my foot in my mouth often. Maybe it's because I'm quick to act and slow to, slow to think. But Peter, in the midst of casting a net into the sea, is called by Jesus to follow him. And I can just picture Peter dropping the net and chasing after Jesus. Later, we see Peter crossing the same body of water during the storm, and he watches Jesus have command of the elements, calming the wind and the waves. And then Peter jumps out of the boat and attempts to walk to Jesus. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Immediately, it was Peter that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was Peter who offered to build booths for Elijah, Moses, and Jesus at the transfiguration. It was Peter who drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's slave. Peter was ready for action. He had courage, courage to be a fisherman, courage to jump into a deep lake, courage to fight. Peter, um, but, but we know that as Jesus was walking towards the cross, Peter followed at a distance. And when asked if he was with Jesus, three times Peter denied him. When that rooster crowed, Peter was immediately filled with sadness. When he realized all his talk of courage of being with Jesus had left him, and he was powerless. But this was not Peter's end, and it is not our end either. Let's jump ahead a few weeks. Jesus has been sentenced to death, hung on a cross, died a horrific death, but God did not leave him in the grave. Praise God, the resurrection happened, and Jesus rose from the dead. After speaking to Peter and many others, Jesus ascends into heaven, and the disciples wait for the gift that Jesus has told them the Father would send. Our passage this morning, we come upon Peter and John in the midst of the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin were a group of powerful leaders made up of high priests, elders, Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law. Peter and John had been going to the temple to pray, and there was a man who was lame from birth sitting outside the gate beautiful, begging. He probably said something like to Peter and John, asking them for coins. 
And Peter responds and says, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, walk. This man was crippled as he came forth from the womb. I'm sure everybody knew him. He was the guy they passed by, not really wanting to part with the few coins in their pockets, so they kind of looked the other way and walked on. And now this man is walking, he's running, he's giving praise to God. And this brings us to our passage this morning. Join me as I read Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 22. When they, the Sanhedrin, had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what are we to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that they will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any longer to any person in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what he had happened. For the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. Peter's act of kindness has drawn the attention of these elite, very powerful men. And they ask, by what power or in what name have you done this? What made Peter preach boldly before these men that could put him to death when only weeks earlier he had denied Jesus and fled out of fear? The disciples had lived with Jesus for three years. They had given up all to follow him. They were ready for an earthly battle, for a fight against the Romans to reclaim what God had given the Jewish nation. But then Jesus began talking about his need to die, his leaving and returning to the Father. And the disciples didn't understand this. Jesus had said to them, when I go, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the spirit of truth. He abides with you and will be in you. I'm sure the disciples thought, a helper? We don't want a helper. 
We want you, Jesus. They couldn't understand what would be better than having Jesus with them. But Jesus knew that when the Holy Spirit came, he would abide in them. Ailey, will you put up that slide I gave you? Now, we all know what this slide is, right? What's it mean? Somebody tell me what it means. What? A dead end. You can't get through. The road doesn't go on. Well, my friend Wendy, who is women's ministry director here, believed well into her adulthood that this sign meant all those houses down there had no outlets. <laughs> they had no electricity. I know, it's really hard to believe, but it's true. Aren't you glad you don't live in one of those houses? When we occasionally have no electricity, it's really a pain. We can't go anywhere, we can't fix our hair, we yell at our kids to not open the refrigerator. We have no power and it paralyzes our day. On Pentecost, God sent the church electricity. This power in the form of the Holy Spirit gave courage and boldness to God's people. On Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was set, Peter began to preach and at the end of his sermon, 3,000 people confessed faith in Jesus. How did Peter go from being frightened to fearless? How did Peter go from denying Jesus to declaring him to be the long-awaited Messiah? How did Peter go from being cowardly to courageous? Peter did not simply change his mind about Jesus. Peter himself was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wanna say this again. Peter did not simply change his mind about Jesus, but Peter himself was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter had come to understand that courage comes not from his own strength, but through the power of God. He understood that the Holy Spirit is the source of his courage. And this is our first point this morning. Courage understands the Holy Spirit is its source. You know, the Sanhedrin that surrounded Peter had earthly power. They were the wealthy, privileged, great authority of the day. And yet Peter answers them with boldness and courage. He says, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, Jesus, is the name which was rejected by you, the builder, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You know, these men didn't care about the health of the beggar. The issue was not whether he was healed or not. They feared losing their power and authority, and they wanted to silence everyone who followed Jesus. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, courageously gives a clear testimony about Jesus and about sin. He boldly spoke to these men of their sinful actions and of their need for a savior. You know, if you're a student here today and your professor says, oh, we know God's merely a crutch for the weak. Raise your hand if you believe God's real. 
Do you ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage and then raise your hand and say, I know God's real because he's changed my life. When your homosexual nephew sends you an invitation to his wedding, do you ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage to speak with him about how God defines marriage? When your boss expects you to fudge the numbers so that your department has a bigger profit, do you ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage to speak and act with integrity? God has given us a helper. He has filled us with the electricity of the Holy Spirit, giving us the power to act in courage and to stand in the midst of our culture today. Now I wanna stop and make a comment about who Peter said Jesus is. He tells these leaders that salvation is found in only Jesus. This statement was true over 2,000 years ago and it is still true today. Jesus is our only way to heaven. And yet not everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to those who understand they are sinful and need Jesus to change them. We all have denied Jesus like Peter did. We all have sinned and this sin separates us from God. But God loves you and in his love he sent Jesus who died on the cross to take the punishment for your sins and for mine. And he offers you salvation today if you don't know him. Now you might be saying, I don't really know why I need salvation. Well, it's because God is holy. And in his holiness, sinful man cannot stand in his presence. But because of his sin, we would be, because of our sin, we would be forever separated from God. Yet God planned before the foundation of the world to send his son Jesus to redeem us and offer us salvation. If you don't know Jesus today, if you've not experienced the power that comes through the Holy Spirit, Jesus freely offers this gift to you. Please talk with somebody that you came with or come up here to the stage afterwards and talk with me. I would love to talk with you. Now, if you are one of the fortunate people that don't live on one of those no outlet streets, how do you know you have electricity? You can't see it, we don't smell it, but if you were standing up here right now, you would see these lights. When we flick on a light switch, we get lights. That's because of electricity. When we turn on our air conditioner when it's hot outside, that cold air is electricity. We don't see it, but we see the effect of the electricity. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. We don't see him, but we see evidence of his work in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit lives within us and gives us power. This is the first step to live a life of courage, to acknowledge our sinfulness and our need for a savior. Peter had come to understand that Jesus was the only one who brought salvation. He had courage because he had been filled with the Holy Spirit and was able to boldly proclaim to these men of power and authority that they needed Jesus, the risen Savior. Courage is not something we muster up. Real courage comes as we depend on the Holy Spirit who abides in us. So courage understands the Holy Spirit is its source. Second. Courage acts with boldness and conviction. 
In verse 13, we see that this group of powerful men recognize three things about Peter and John. They see them acting with confidence, they recognize that they are uneducated and untrained men, and they conclude that they have been with Jesus. Now, Peter was a simple fisherman, uneducated, untrained, the kind of guy these these men of authority would have looked down upon and despised. And yet, these men see Peter's confidence and how this confidence leads him to speak in boldness, and the Bible says they are amazed. Now remember, Peter is not confident in himself. He would have continued to lose courage without the Holy Spirit. But now, with the electricity of the Holy Spirit coursing through his veins, Peter acts with boldness. Peter's words and actions flow from a heart that is convinced of what is true. You know, what we see in life is often frightening, and the fears don't just go away. But our convictions are greater than our fears. Many people think that a courageous person is someone who's not afraid of anything, someone who's maybe just stupid or never afraid to take risks. But biblical courage flows from the convictions that grow out of our trust and fear of God. You know, when I read stories of martyrs, of men and women who endure suffering, even to the point of death for the cause of Christ, I understand that these people aren't special. They are ordinary people that have been convinced that the word of God is real and true, and they act on those convictions with boldness. We saw the vignette this morning of the Hebrew midwives, how their fear of God caused them to disobey the king. They were convinced that God was more powerful and that God was the one in control and this led them to act courageously and let the little Israelite boy babies live. What convictions do you have that lead you to live courageously? You know, if I speak up to a friend who's married about her flirting with a coworker, she may be angry with me or stop being my friend, but my conviction that the word of God says that this behavior tears apart the one flesh union that God designed for marriage is greater than my fear, so I speak up in boldness and courage. Maybe you have family members like I do who aren't believers and you desire to speak to them of your, con- of your relationship with Jesus, but every time you try, they shut you down. I know this is hard, but our convictions that they will die and spend eternity in hell apart from Jesus leads us to speak up in boldness and courage even in the face of adversity. Peter counted these hardships as joy, and we can also. There was a widow whose name was Sophia, who lived in Rome during the first century. She lived with her three daughters, Faith, who was 12, Hope was 10, and Love was nine. These women did not hide their faith in Jesus, but boldly and openly shared it um, with all they came in contact with. When they were arrested and brought before the emperor because of their faith in Jesus, they prayed that God would give them strength to not fear torture or even death. The emperor urged the girls to offer sacrifices to Artemis, but when each refused, the emperor ordered them to be tortured. 
First, they were burned over an open grate. Then they were thrown into a red-hot oven, and finally, um, pour, they were, had boiling tar poured on them. After going these really horrible tortures, they were all beheaded. Their mother was maybe given a worse torment. She was made to watch her daughters be tortured. Yet as she watched, she encouraged them to trust God and stand firm. How do we act like these women and not deny Jesus at a moment of great fear? You know, I'm sure that this was not the first step of courage these women had taken. Steps along their life had led them to fear God more than they feared the things of this life, and this conviction gave them courage and boldness. I heard someone say recently, just do the small things and let God take care of the rest. Begin small. Maybe this means speaking about your relationship with Jesus to a store clerk who asks you how your day is going. Give praise to God by speaking of his kindness to you. People often say that we're not persecuted here in the United States. And maybe this is because we rarely take the opportunity to speak the name of Jesus. Begin small, begin today. What truths are you convinced of? Begin acting boldly in small ways, and God will give you courage for greater things. The first acts of courage often begin with fighting our own sin. I want you to think about a sin that maybe you fall back into regularly. Maybe it's a sin you kind of like, thinking ill of a coworker who's always mean to you, living with a perpetual disrespect of your husband. Every one of us is different, and each of us will have different sins. Why don't we have victory over these sins? I think we need courage because we are often afraid of the outcome if we really do fight them. When my husband and I first got married, we both had decent incomes. And then David accepted a call as pastor, and our income dropped by about 75%. Now, I'm resourceful, and I've always been thrifty, as Courtney pointed out to you. So these characteristic traits kicked in. And over the years, I worked hard to get good deals. I sought ways to make the most of our money. And you may say, well, those are good things. And yes, they are. They can be. But through the years, God provided over and over and over. Yet in my head, it was easy to say, yeah, God provides with my help. My security in having saved money was real. And I was not dependent on God and his care for me. God has provided in abundance for my family, so much more than I could ever have imagined. Yet I still struggle with the sins that accompany money. Really, I don't care a whole lot about things or what I have, but I do love the security that money brings, and this is sin. I think if I don't make sure and keep us saving, will God really take care of us? It takes courage to trust God and to trust my husband when he says, we're not keeping the stimulus checks, or let's give $2,000 to this person. My heart's first reaction is usually sinful. It takes courage for me to say, 
I know you, God, are the giver of all my good gifts, and I trust you as my security. Has God been pointing out a sin in your life? Are you convinced that God's word is true in some area, yet have resisted change? It doesn't take courage for me to sin. That's easy. It's what my heart desires. It takes courage to obey, courage to fight the sin and kill it. Maybe you've been convinced that the way you use your tongue is sinful, but you enjoy the camaraderie you have with your work ladies and as you talk about other people. You know, if you don't join in, maybe they'll talk about you. Maybe you've been convinced that working on Sundays is wrong, but you're afraid of being fired if you stand up for your convictions. Trust God, he will care for you. And then boldly act in faith. Maybe you've been convinced that dating a non-believer is not something that God approves of, but you're scared you may never get married. Maybe you've been convinced that your unwillingness to forgive someone is wrong, but you keep dwelling on how badly that person has treated you. You just don't know how you can forgive. Remember, it is not in your power that you have courage to forgive. Trust the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and then act in forgiveness by showing love. One of my closest friends quit speaking to me a number of years ago and I sought to bring about reconciliation. I prayed and asked God to show me where my sin was. I went to her house to confess sin, but she didn't really talk to me. Um, occasionally, I'm at a function that she's at as well. And when I see her come in, you know, the easy thing to do would just be sit on the other side, walk away, ignore. And yet I know, I feel, I hear God's voice in my head saying, go and talk to her. Tell her you love her. Give her a hug. My insides say, no, no, I don't want to do that. But I know that Jesus says, if I do not forgive others, then the Father will not forgive me. So I'm convinced that being a child of God involves forgiving others. So I go up to her, I hug her, I tell her I love her, even though there's almost no response. Courage doesn't flow from greatness. It flows from our dependence on God and believing what he says. As I was reading in Deuteronomy recently, I was struck by God telling the Israelites to assemble all the people, the men, women, children, even strangers that were with them, every seven years and read through the entire book of Deuteronomy. Why did he tell them to do that? Well, Moses says, so that we may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. So as you read the word, be soft to the Holy Spirit's prompting and ask God to give you courage to act in boldness out of a fear of God. We see this courage over and over again in the life of Peter. If we look down at verses 18 and 19, when the Sanhedrin had commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach or talk in the name of Jesus, Peter answers, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgments. 
for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We often think the people who have real courage, those who really act in great ways for God, are special, different from you and me. But this isn't true. The Sanhedrin recognized Peter and John were ordinary, uneducated men. God uses the weak. Those who just have ordinary ability, but who fear him and are convinced that his word is true. We saw this picture in the Hebrew midwives. They were ordinary women who feared God. This conviction gave them courage to disobey the king. You and I are ordinary women. If you want to have courage, begin now with doing what is right in all the little things in your life. You know, we live in an age that thinks courage is saying I'm transgender or vocalizing my support to do with my body as I please. This isn't courage. This is cowardly living out our sin. Real courage is not acting in rebellion against God by standing for wickedness. Real courage begins with having conviction and then acting on those convictions by fighting sin and standing for truth. Peter knew his sin. He had denied Jesus. He had fled. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, and this gave him courage to stand and act boldly. So, our first point, courage understands the Holy Spirit is its source. Courage acts with boldness and conviction. And third, courage imitates Jesus. The Sanhedrin were amazed at the boldness and courage of Peter and John, and they came to the conclusion that it was because these men had been with Jesus. This is convicting to me. Do the people I encounter in my day recognize my relationship with Jesus because of my actions? Well, you might say, well, that's different. Peter actually lived with Jesus, and yes, he says that he saw and heard the things of Jesus. We know for three years, Peter was with Jesus. He saw Jesus pronounce the woes on the Pharisees. He watched as Jesus cleansed the temple because Jesus said, my father's house will not be dishonored. He saw Jesus' compassion on the weak and the poor and the needy. Personally, Peter had seen Jesus forgive him for his denial and then appoint him to do a great work. But what have you seen? What have you heard? We have the Bible the records of these men's time with Jesus. We see the work that Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit right now in our own life. We see the ways that God is changing those around us. One of the great joys of being a pastor's wife is getting a front row seat to watch the Holy Spirit work. I had the great privilege of having a front row seat watching the work of the Holy Spirit in Courtney's life, our MC today. And that has been such a tremendous blessing in my life. The Sanhedrin hated Jesus. They were threatened by his power and authority. And yet they saw something in these ordinary men and their courage and boldness that amazed them. 
and it made them realize that it was because these men had been with Jesus. What example of courage does Jesus give us? Jesus says to his father as he looks towards the cross, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Again, in prayer, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus' desire was to do the will of his father. This led him to lay aside the rights and the privileges that were his as God and to give up his life for you and for me. You know, we live in a culture that says, stand up for your own rights. You deserve to have your rights met, but this is not the culture of those who imitate Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, to have the same attitude as Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are all your acts of courage about yourself? Courage to make your voice heard. Courage to get what you deserve. Courage to be known. This is not the courage of Jesus. He said, not my will be done, but yours. This is not the courage of Peter. He said, I cannot stop speaking about what I have heard and seen. Why? Because Peter was convinced that others needed what Jesus had to offer. Peter's courage wasn't about promoting himself, but his courage was to elevate Jesus and to help others. What do you do by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit living within you? When do you speak the name of Jesus? When do you act courageously because you have seen the work of Jesus in your own life and have heard the promises that God has given to us in Scripture? Peter lacked courage at the cross. He denied Jesus. Yet now, Peter has the opportunity to demonstrate the same courage that Jesus had set as an example for him. This courage ultimately takes him to a Roman jail cell, arrested for speaking the name of Jesus, And according to church history, Peter goes to his death on a Roman cross. Peter wrote the the letters, 1st and 2nd Peter, at the end of his life as an older man. He had lived courageously, and now he is admonishing those who are coming after him to follow. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God 
that you bear that name. Every one of us needs courage. Our lives look different from each other, but it is helpful to remember that when we live out our faith, we are going to encounter real hardships and real opposition. You know, it's easy for me to act like my grandson who says of the prospect of the big bad wolf, I get my gun and shoot him dead. But when I'm faced with the opportunity to stand in courage, I cave in and I stand there powerless in fear. Let's be women that live utilizing the power, the electricity, the spirit desires to give us and then act boldly on the convictions given by the word and imitate Jesus' life of doing the will of his Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift that you have given us in the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for the ways that, that he has given me courage to do hard things and to stand. I pray, Father, that you will, will help each woman in this room to depend on you, to, to seek you in the midst of the things that are hard, that are frightening to them. I praise you, Father, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What great motivation and challenge to us this year. We must take courage, and the Holy Spirit is our source of courage. I am really thankful for Cheryl's call to us to start acting in small, courageous ways. Perhaps that's speaking up at work when everyone else is gossiping, or speaking up with a neighbor and just inviting them to church. There are so many ways to be courageous and bold for Christ, and I think the first thing we should do is pray and ask God to give us the courage to act, and then actually act, do it. Act on the courage and do the things God calls us to do. I am grateful for Cheryl's words of wisdom on this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am grateful to you. First, that you have given us direction to be bold and speak truth, to stand up in situations that most people wouldn't stand up for. And I'm thankful that we don't have to do this alone, that your Holy Spirit is with us, that he guides us and give us this, the strength to stand. I pray that you would help each woman listening today to stand up in an area that maybe they have not Maybe they have been somewhat cowardly in. I pray that we would be bold and do the work that you've called us to do. I thank you that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's time for this episode's Tiny Tidbit. A tiny tidbit is a small piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's Tiny Tidbit is brought to you from Joan Sedley. Joan, Hi, what Julie. do you got for us today? Well, this is something that helps me uh, with prayer time. Okay. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we are exhorted to pray without ceasing and told in Revelation 5 that the golden bowls of incense are the prayers of the saints. For years now, whenever I hear a siren or see an ambulance or mm. other first responder vehicle, I pray. Mm. I pray for the first responders, the victims of tragedy, the other drivers, and that the Lord would draw them all to himself. Pretty soon I started adding police officers I knew, family and others that had asked for prayer. Now I live near a fire station and hear many sirens in the course of a day. I consider them my alert from the Lord that it's time to pray and feel privileged to do so. Mm. 
Perhaps you are near a firehouse, a hospital, hear church bells, or a clock tower. You can use any of these as a reminder to pray for others. And that is another great thing to do as a family, because as you're driving in the car, you'll hear sirens or pull over because an ambulance is going by. Yeah, uh, once my granddaughter, she said to me, Grammy, I know you were trying to drive around the accident, but she said, I saw those police cars in that ambulance and I knew what I had to do. Awesome. So So. what an impact you're making on your grandkids. That's awesome. Praise God. That's awesome. Thank you for coming on for our tiny tidbit. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be here. (laughs) That's awesome. Hey, thanks for listening. Join us next week for our second part in this series, continuing to focus on standing for Christ in our challenges, trials, and the unknown. Don't forget to follow or like us on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at Women of the Word CTW. Great content there. Also, you can find us on any of your favorite podcast directories or platforms, so go and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Podbean, I mean, anywhere you listen, even Spotify. We are there. We drop a new episode each and every Thursday. And remember... When everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.